0: everybody great to see you guys. Thanks for joining us this weekend man we will welcome all of our campuses Firewheel, Forney, White Rock, uh, Town East, North Dallas, Rockwall. Uh, those of you that might be joining us online as well man so stoked that you're with us this weekend and so grateful for all of all of you and man I'm super excited about Easter. And i would be thinking about who you can invite, because it might, may be this life-changing for them. And I'm, I guarantee it'll be life-changing for you a, a, as well. Uh, my name is Mike, by the way, and I get to be on the teaching team here. A privilege to get to do that. And uh, we're in a series we've been calling Hills and Valleys. And this weekend, we're actually on a hill that feels like a valley. And, and I love that we're going to get to stand on this hill uh, together today, because whether it's a hill or a valley, together... Um, is where God wants us to be, you know. When you experience something uh, with with other people, um, it, it just has a way of bonding you, doesn't it? I mean, you you might think back to that road trip you and some buddies took, you know, last semester, or that championship season where the whole team kind of came together, or, or, or you you got the old band back together and you just jammed all night in somebody's garage, or that weekend that you took your bestie girlfriends and went to a lake house and you cried and laughed all night long, or that mission trip where you rolled up your sleeves and stood shoulder to shoulder with people, serving people that were less fortunate than you. Man, there's just a bond that happens when you do stuff together. Think about this ragtag band of brothers that hung out with Jesus for three years. These guys were so diverse, but they were together a lot. They traveled together, set up camp together, sailed together, fished together, uh, worked together, learned together, laughed together, together, cried together, grieved together, bonded together. And the night after they finished eating together in this borrowed upstairs room, it says they closed out the night singing together. Now, there's just something about singing together that bonds people. I've seen it during the National Anthem. I've seen it at the seventh inning stretch at Wrigley Field. I've seen it at a concert. I've seen it at a karaoke bar. I've seen it at worship services like this at Lake Point. There's just a bond that develops when you stand shoulder to shoulder and you pour out your hearts together in song. So on this inspiring, somewhat surreal extremely confusing night for these guys. It says they sing a hymn. They sing together. And then they head out to a place called the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives, uh, where they're headed, is a ridge about two miles long that rises a little over 2,600 feet on the east side of Jerusalem. I actually got to stand there just a few years ago, and from that vantage point, you can see the entire city of Jerusalem, and if you didn't know, olive trees are pretty gnarly looking. And I was there at night. And I got to tell you, the olive grove at night is a, a little spooky. And during the first century, probably they had an, that entire ridge was just covered with these olive trees. By the way, anybody like olives? They're gross. Why would you like olives? They're just, <laughs> ugh. I'll pick them off my pizza, throw them away. I can't stand them. How many of you use like extra virgin olive oil in your cooking? Now, we, we, we do that, but back then, olive trees and olives were everywhere, and the abundance of oil they produced was used extensively in cooking, uh, in the lighting of lamps, religious practices, all kinds of stuff, and to get oil from the olives, they had to be crushed with these huge millstones called olive crushing. You think that would crush an olive or two? The oil that was squeezed out of those olives would then run into a pit and be collected in clay jars. And these olive crushers were often placed in a cave where more moderate temperature would improve the efficiency of the oil production. And this is where Jesus goes on this night. To the olive press. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane is derived from two Hebrew words which means a place for pressing oil. So the Gethsemane that we often think about as this lush beautiful garden with like dew on the roses uh, was probably much more like an olive press in a cave in the middle of a gnarly looking olive grove. So don't miss the imagery here. Jesus the night before his crucifixion, with the weight of the sins of the world pressing down, squeezing the life out of his soul. Here he is at a Gethsemane, a place where things get crushed when they all get there, he tells them, he says, guys, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he tells the other eight guys, now mine is Judas, you guys hang right here, you three, Peter, James, John, you guys come with me. They were kind of his inner circle, kind of his closest friends. So they go a little deeper into the grove, and it gets really, really vulnerable, three, these three guys. He says, guys, you need to know this. My soul is just crushed right now with grief to the point of death. So I'm just going to ask you, would you just stay here and keep watch with me? Now, when you read through uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, you'll notice that Jesus went off by himself a lot just to be alone with his Father. Solitude was a regular practice of Jesus. The greatest, biggest people person of all time still had to unplug from people from time to time just to get alone with his Father and, and get refocused. And even though this time on the Mount of Olives, he will once again pray alone, I just think it's kind of cool he still wants somebody close by. God in the flesh knew he needed friends. Isn't that true of all of us? I mean, God wired us all, all that way. Instinctively, we want somebody by our side in the hospital when we're facing major surgery, or at least know they're out in the lobby praying for us while we're in there. We want somebody sitting in that courtroom during the proceedings. We, we don't want to walk into our first recovery meeting all by ourselves. We might be nervous about a job interview. So we ask someone, won't you come with me to sit in the car and I'll just know that you're out there praying for me. We want somebody at hospice as death gets closer. We all just want somebody to be there. And Jesus, he wanted that too. He's experiencing a depth of loneliness here at the Gethsemane that he had never experienced before. Did you catch how he tells his closest friends? My soul is crushed with grief. I was reading an interesting article about a joint study that was done between Duke University, UCLA, I think University of Colorado, University of uh, Michigan, and the research reveals this connection between physical pain and emotional rejection. They are finding that the same regions of the brain are activated when people experience pain in their bodies, also become active when people feel intense rejection by someone they love. In other words, they're finding that rejection actually hurts. And you talk about experiencing intense rejection? Talk about betrayal? Talk about heartbreak? Now, his guys are pretty clueless to as what is actually transpiring here, but he's not. And he tells them, guys, I feel like I'm dying here. This hurts so bad. My soul is Crushed. Luke writes about this in chapter 22, and he says this, And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, we can't be sure about this, but Luke, who was a physician, may have been referring to a rare medical condition known as hematidrosis, where under extreme pressure, tiny capillaries in the skin burst, and the blood enters the sweat ducts mingling with sweat. But whatever was happening, what was physically happening to Jesus in this moment, Emotionally, his soul was feeling crushed. I love what Philip Yancey writes in his excellent book called The Jesus I Never Knew. He said, his words suggest something more ominous than loneliness. Is it possible that for the first time ever, he did not want to be alone with the Father? Jesus no more relished the prospects of pain and death than you or I do. But there was more at work as well, a new experience for Jesus that can only be called God forsakenness at its core Gethsemane depicts after all the story of unanswered prayer the cup of suffering was not removed Jesus knew in those moments the crushing weight of the sin of all mankind would be placed upon him he had never felt separation from the father that sin brings never and he knew it was coming and his soul felt crushed. Gang, Jesus knew. He knew the truth of the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah that talked about. He said he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Jesus knew that reality. He knew the reality of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The greatest person who ever walked the planet, the only one qualified to be called good, would go to the Mount of Olives, to Gethsemane, a place where things get crushed. And this night the truth of where his road would lead him crushed his soul. Well, Jesus goes a little deeper into the groves. and says this, He bows with His face to the ground, praying in these most significant words ever uttered my father if it is possible let this cup of suffering be taken away from me yet yet i want your will to be done not mine if it is possible this is what i would like yet your will be done you ever wrestle somewhere in between if and yet man i have And this profound struggle between if and yet would continue all throughout the night as Jesus just pours out his breaking heart to his father. Well, after a while, it says he gets up to check on his buddies. And I don't know, maybe he wants to talk about what he's been talking to God about, or maybe he's just looking for a little encouragement, or maybe he just needs an occasional, you okay in there? But it's not to be. You ever ever been in a class at school or a boring movie or a school play or maybe even a church service and you fight to stay awake especially like right after you ate like a big dinner sometimes it's just, just about impossible to, to stay awake right well that's what happens to Jesus' friends it says he returns finds them asleep and he says to Peter couldn't you watch with me even one hour keep watching, and pray so that you won't give in to temptation for the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak Now, he singles Peter out, and I don't think he jumps all over him here. I think there is some honest disappointment, but it's also mixed with a dose of reality. He said, Peter, do you you remember on the way over here, you told me you would die for me? Dude, you can't even stay awake. Now, I know you have good intentions, but always remember that you are not as strong as you think you are. The temptation to fall away is going to come at you strong, so you need to watch and pray. By the way, when I was working through the story this week, another thing crossed my mind. I was thinking, if there would have been some women on the Mount of Olives with him that night, they'd have been wide awake. They'd been praying to, saying, you need anything, need some water, want a cup of coffee? Because later on, we see women at the cross, they come to the tomb. If they would have been there at Gethsemane, they would have wiped away his tears. They would have listened. But there were only guys there. And once us guys get our bellies full, we're pretty much worthless. This also made me think, it's weird the way my mind works sometimes, but I thought all the way back to a little poem that I heard an old man named Ennis Dowling recite when I was a high school student. Now, I say he was an old man, he's probably my age, but but to me, he was an old man, and and I never heard anybody talk about God's love for me. Now, I know people had talked about God's love, but I just never heard it, and uh, it was a pivotal moment for my life. And this old guy would just tell story after story about love. Then he would smile and lean in with a twinkle in his eye. I'll never forget it. To all of us high school students, he said, love is like that. And then he would just tell another story. And he started talking about the unconditional love of dogs. Anybody else love dogs like me? I'm a dog lover. You had me at Wolf, right? I, I can't, I, and I can't believe. I remember this poem from when I was 17, which is like, 21 years ago. Um, This is a poem that stuck in my heart since I was 17 years old. I wonder if Christ had a little black dog, all curly and woolly like mine, with two silky ears and a nose round and wet and two eyes that sparkle and shine. Well, I'm sure if he had that little black dog knew right from the start he was God. He needed no proof that he was divine. He just worshiped the ground that he trod. But I'm sure that he hadn't because I have read how he prayed in the garden alone. When all of his friends and disciples had fled, even Peter, the one called the stone. Well, I'm sure if he had, that little black dog would have never have left him to suffer alone. But crawling up under his arm would have licked his dear fingers in agony clasp and counting all favors but loss. When they let him away, he would have trotted behind and followed him all the way to the cross. But no faithful dog in this story, no compassionate women, just a bunch of snoring men. Verse 42, then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. See, Jesus had just held the cup a few hours earlier at their Passover meal. and He tells the guys, this cup is the new covenant. This cup represents my blood, which will be poured out for the sins of many. And now in the olive grove, he's pleading, Father, can you take this cup away from me? Do I have to drink this? Is there another way? Again, struggling honestly between if and yet. Yet your will be done. Well, he checks on them again. They're still sleeping. And Matthew, one of the guys, records, he just saying. We couldn't keep our eyes open. He says, so he goes and prays the third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. And I think Jesus pretty much saying, I know you can't help it. And be honest, you're going to need your rest because it's going to get crazy real soon. One of the things that gripped me about the view from the Mount of Olives, and again, I was there at nighttime, is that from Jesus' vantage point, He would have been able to see in the distance people with torches and clubs and swords making their way out of the city gates and starting their climb up the hill. He knew what was happening. He could see it unfolding. Perhaps as he prayed, he watched the people ascend the hill. And then he wakes wakes up his guys and he says, look, the time has come. The son of man, talking about himself, is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's get going. Look, look, my betrayer is here. And with that, Jesus courageously walked into the darkness toward the ones who wanted him dead. And this all went down at Gethsemane, a place where things get crushed. Crushed. You know, when I thought about Jesus being there at the Olive Press at the Gethsemane during the most intense night of his life. It just made me want to show up here today and ask all of you what do you do when you're being pressed? What, what do you do when it feels like your soul is just crushed? Because we all go through that. I thought about it a lot this week personally. Um, so I just wrote down a few statements after rereading the story again, and I just wrote down some, I guess you'd call them I resolve type of statements. Because when you watch Jesus, you can't help but want to be like Jesus. And what he was able to do in these intense moments is so impressive. My respect for him grew even deeper than it already was. Based on what I saw him do on the Mount of Olives at Gethsemane, These are the statements that just kind of float out of my heart that I want to be true of me. And I wrote this, the first one I wrote down was this, I will not go through tough stuff alone. I will not go through tough stuff alone because God reminds me that I have a tendency to withdraw, to isolate when difficult things come my way because I don't, I want to bother other people with this. No big deal, really. I mean, you know, it's kind of a private matter. No one needs to know this is an issue. No one needs to know how badly this hurts. No one needs to see my vulnerability because, now I'm supposed to be strong. I'm supposed to be an example. I got, I got this. Even though these guys don't exactly come through for Jesus in the moment, Jesus still knew the value of having some friends with you that'll keep watch with you. And I know I'm not the only one who has a tendency to withdraw or isolate Sometimes people just drop out of sight. They stop coming around. They they no longer show up at church. They they miss a couple of weeks and they miss a couple of months. And before you know it, man, they haven't been around in a couple of years. They won't return your calls or your texts or your emails. They're absent from all their social media platforms. And one day you run into them at a store and you go, Oh man, where you been? They go, Ah, oh, I've been, been going through some really hard things. Yeah, so where you been? Because we wanted to be there to help you, gang. It's so crucial to have friends, people in your life who will share in your pain, in your grief, in your fears, in your confusion, with your major decisions. People who will shoot you a text and go, "Hey, man, I'm just I'm just praying for you today." they to shoot you an email saying I just woke up thinking about you this morning or I heard this song and it made me think about what you're going through or I found this article that I think will be helpful or this link to a podcast or I just read this great book that I think could really really help you out we all need people like that who will stay awake and alert and just look out for us it means a ton and one of the things I love uh, uh, so much about Lake Point is the community the friendships and the family that is being built here Some of you are close friends now, and you didn't even know each other six months ago. I love how the scripture says God places the lonely in family. He does. And if we will step up and cooperate with him, he will surround us with people who care, fellow strugglers on this journey called life that will be there in those Gethsemane moments. So following Jesus' example, I just wrote down, I resolve, I will not go through tough stuff alone. Second thing I jotted down was this. I will pray with raw honesty. I will pray with raw honesty. Because sometimes, man, we pray way too neat, way too buttoned up, way too religious sounding, way too reserved, too vague. This struggle for Jesus was a gut level honest one. These prayers are not rehearsed. They're not formulaic. They didn't come out of a book. They came out of a soul that was being crushed. They were intense, and they were raw, and they were honest. Hebrews 5, 7 says this about, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered up prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. Gut-level honest. You ever get that real and raw, gut-level honest with God? Where you're just unpacking the depths of your soul? I love what Jesus taught us all about praying there's there's a great uh, message that jesus did called the sermon on the mount you can find it in matthew the first book of the new Testament, in five six and seven the chapters and this is what he says about prayer he goes here's what i want you to do find a quiet secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before god just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage and the focus will shift from you to god and you'll begin to sense his grace the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with. This is your father you're dealing with. And he knows better than you what you need. Which is why when I pray those raw, honest prayers, I resolve to trust my father. The third thing I wrote down was this, like Jesus, I will surrender to God's better plan. And I will live with purpose. Look at Mark's account of this story. Jesus prayed. He said, Abba, Daddy. Abba, Daddy, Father. He cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. When we come to God with if and yet, we say, Father, Abba, Daddy, everything is possible for you. I know you can heal this cancer. I know you can repair this marriage. I know you can prevent this bankruptcy. I know you can sell this house quickly. I know you can reverse the verdict. I know you can save my job for everything is possible for you. But God, I just want you to know I trust you. I trust your better plan for me I trust your better view from above because I believe that your ways are higher. I believe that your wisdom is wiser, that your love runs deeper. I mean, if you could do this, I'd love to see that happen. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And gang, I'm finding freedom in that kind of surrender. I'm finding purpose in that kind of surrender because I want to do life God's way. Because he knows better. I want to live like Jesus did, with laser focus. And One of the most impressive things about Jesus to me is he knew what he wanted to accomplish. He says in John chapter 8, he says, for, for I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. In this olive grove, he tells his father, I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you told me to do. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says, uh, before, before he even laid down the, the foundations of earth, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. Focus changes everything. I, I think out of all the sports I've played, I think hitting a baseball is the toughest thing. Because you're trying to hit a round ball with a round piece of lumber And it's coming at you with curves and sliders and fastballs and change-up. And it's coming at you from 60 feet, 6 inches. I mean, if you fail 70% of the time, you go to the Hall of Fame. That's just the way it is. That's how hard it is. And do you know what separates good hitters from great hitters? Focus. Focus. I heard this really old story about uh, this guy named Yogi Berra. Who was a Hall of Fame catcher for the New York Yankees? He was famous for nonstop trash talking when people would step up in the batter's box. And the story goes that one day, all time home run king Hank Aaron comes to the plate and Yogi starts in trash talking, trying to distract him. He says, You're holding the bat wrong. You're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to be able to read the trademark. You can't read the trademark. Listen, you're supposed to be able to read the trademark. You're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to read the trademark. Hank drives the next pitch in the left field bleachers, turns to the yogi and says, I didn't come up here to read. <laughs> it's all about focus. And I'm learning that focus is the key to finishing strong. Jesus knew specifically the road. He was called to walk, and this time in the olive press enabled him to focus. When they come to arrest him, Peter, perhaps trying to make up for falling asleep, He grabs a sword and starts flailing it around and chops the ear off a guy. Well, Jesus heals the guy, and he turns to Peter and says, put your sword up. Those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. Besides, Peter, I I just settled all this in my soul back at the Gethsemane. I'm supposed to drink this cup. I'm supposed to let this happen. This is God's plan. This is my purpose. This is my destiny. Put your sword up. One of my favorite verses is in the Living Bible version of Luke 9:51, where it says, "As time grew near for Jesus return to heaven, he moved steadily onward toward Jerusalem toward a cross with an iron will." Let me just ask you, what, what if you knew, what if you knew that the road marked out for you would include betrayal, rejection, humiliation, pain, torture and public execution? What if you knew all that? What if you knew that a cross was in your future at age 33 and that you would be nailed there for something you didn't even do? Would you still walk that road? Jesus did. We were the focus of His love. He chose us. I don't know whether you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ It's a tough movie to watch, but my favorite scene is this scene in the olive grove. And the creators took some artistic license to try to depict the whole wrestling match going on inside of Jesus as he goes to Gethsemane to pray. And in this scene, the evil one is there with Jesus like he was back in the wilderness three years prior when Jesus was about to start his ministry, and he's trying to throw doubt in his mind again. He's trying to throw confusion in his mind And then this really freaky thing happens as you see evil personified as a snake. So as Jesus is there struggling with the tension of very real, raw, honest human emotions, in between if and yet, this snake starts to slither toward him. Now this goes all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, where evil slithers into the original garden, the Garden of Eden, and tempts a couple named Adam and Eve to rebel against God. Well, they choose to do so, and life on this planet would never be the same. But immediately, God announces that things would someday be different, that he already had a plan to restore this broken relationship. And that plan is revealed all the way through the Old Testament of the Bible, through all kinds of symbols and imagery and rituals and people and prophecy, that a Savior, a Deliverer, a Rescuer is on the way. But the initial prophecy about God's plan for restoring our broken relationship and defeating evil is found in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis chapter 3, where God says to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He's saying there is one who will be born of a woman someday. And you may strike his heel, but I'm telling you right now, he will crush your head. (laughs) Oh, sing, Othiopoi. Kuma. Beesratti. Shabri, may reshatashet. Toma nu a lie. (laughs) I mean kahil mahir mo ba likun hatta kak say Anastica, like I know, you're here, so you're here, 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 you And to hell, cause get it me, I can't lock Money back. i not to Fuck I me mean many. you know i'm eternally grateful literally that the one who was crushed would crush sin and death for me and maybe just maybe it's time for you to say like jesus god i just, i want to trust you i want to live out my destiny No more going through tough stuff alone. No more fancy buttoned up prayers. When I wrestle between if and yet, I want to land on yet because I know that you love me more than I could imagine. So I just say, whatever this life throws my way, your will be done. Let's pray. Father, Father, This story for me is just uh, incredibly gripping. Jesus, to think that you were just crushed, that your soul was being ripped apart, that real battle going on inside of you is, I just can't even imagine what that night was like for you. God, I thank you for walking into the dark and choosing, choosing to lay your life down so we could be free. And Jesus, this week, as we kind of every day recap what you did in that quote-unquote passion week that we would see once again that we are the focus of your love and we would live with deep gratitude this week. And I pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point. Visit LakePoint Digital.